0: tonight we continue in this final section of Paul's letter to converts in Ephesus. We see throughout this letter, he speaks to them as true converts, as true believers, as people who've been born again, who've been made spiritually alive by the Spirit of God. Who have been brought into union with the risen and ascended Christ. Speaks to them as people who've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. All by and of the sovereign grace of God. For two and a half chapters, Paul has called them to lay aside the old man, put on the new man, created in the likeness of God, he said, in holiness and righteousness of the truth. And he's called them to submit to God's design in marriage, in family, and at work. And so, chapter 6, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, why is he talking about this? Why does he write this? Well, he does it because he knows that all believers are going to face hostility And opposition in this life. Not from men. But from spiritual beings. And yes we will. Of course encounter opposition from men. But even that opposition. Is rooted and grounded. And flows from the opposition of. Satan and his demons. These are beings we cannot see. We cannot touch. But Paul also is showing us here. That God has provided for us the necessary weaponry. He's provided His power to us, made it available to us for this warfare. And I want to remind us, I think we talked a little bit about this after our service on the Lord's Day. Satan can only do what God permits him to do. This is what we saw in Job chapter 1. Satan came before God to accuse Job. Of course, Job is faithful to you. He says to God, you've given him everything. But if you took everything away from him, he would no longer be faithful to you. Well, God said to Job, well, you can take away from him whatever you want, only you cannot take his life. So we see there, God limits what Satan can and cannot do. And Paul is showing us, and this is why I asked a question earlier, we must realize that the enemy of God, though he has been bound such that he cannot restrict the spread of the gospel among the Gentiles, that the light has come into the world, and he can't stop it. That doesn't mean his whole attack on humanity has ended, but he cannot stop the spreading of the light of the gospel among the Gentiles. He's still actively engaged in warfare. And not only against believers, but against all men. He wishes to take all humanity to hell. He seeks hour by hour, even though we don't see Him. He seeks to draw us away from our Lord, to draw us to hell with Him. He seeks to bring hardship, as we read in the case of Job. He seeks to bring persecution on some, but He also uses... The opposite tactic, he promises earthly things to people. He uses earthly wealth and earthly treasure to draw people away from Christ, to feed our lust. So, we are in this battle, and we need to understand that, be aware of it, and acknowledge it. And we also need to understand we don't possess the strength or the power in ourselves to fight this battle. Because of our lust, because of our nature, we are weaker than Satan. However, God has provided us with the weaponry. He has the power. Christ has already defeated Satan at the cross. So we have this powerful enemy who seeks to cause us to fall away from the faith, who seeks to lead us to fail to persevere in the faith. He seeks our destruction. And as if you don't believe that, nothing I'm going to say, nothing that Paul has to say to us, is going to mean anything to us. These spiritual forces, if you look back to chapter 2, verse 2, these spiritual forces, these demons, Satan and the powers of the air, are right now at work in the sons of disobedience. In the case of all the unbelieving, Satan is winning. He's winning right now. In the case of all who he's deceived into following false religions, he is winning. And there's a point where he just leaves them in their deception. And so because we lack the strength, we lack the power to fight this spiritual battle on our own, Paul calls us to be strong in the Lord, to find our source of power in the Lord. That means we have to Abide in Christ. We must remain close to Him. We must be drawing on His wisdom, His Word, on His transforming power that we find in His Word. Jesus said, John 15, 5, apart from Him, we can do nothing. And that's certainly true of this spiritual warfare. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. So that's what Paul wants us to understand. This is a fierce battle It's coming against us We're not strong enough in ourselves To win this battle But God has provided the necessary Armor with which to do it So last week We looked at what scripture teaches us About three questions What is the nature of this warfare In what ways Is the devil Satan waging war against us How does he do it And what does the Bible tell us about Satan Revelation 20, verse 2, he's called the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, Diabolu, Satan, Satanah, the evil one, the ruler of this age. All of these refer to the same evil being, the one who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. And we saw the Bible tells us Satan is the one who tempted Jesus in the wilderness and failed. He's the one who comes and takes away the good seed of the word of God from the hearts of men. This is what he does. He sows tares among the wheat. Unbelievers in the midst of the church. Throughout the New Testament, he took possession. We see it over and over again, him taking possession of men, taking possession of their faculties, of their speech. And that activity, by the way, of demon possession is now limited, it seems, in our time. But it still does occur But we're told he is a deceiver. That is his essence. This word diabolu, which is translated devil, also is translated slanderer or accuser. He disguises himself. He masquerades as though he's a beautiful angel of light. He entered into Judas and moved him to betray Christ. He demanded permission to sift Peter like wheat and he succeeded. He filled the heart of Ananias when he came to offer his offering. He filled his heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. All of this, you can see, revolves around deception. So he doesn't come at us head on. He uses cunning, deceptive strategies to catch us off guard. His methods, and the word here, when they talk about crafty schemes, the word is methodeia. That's the Greek word. His methods are crafty. They're schemes. They're schemes of a deceiver. He will mix lies with some truth. How many preachers do we see today mixing some lies with the truth? Very popular way to attract a crowd. He misrepresents the Word of God. He lured Eve into thinking maybe she didn't hear the Word of God right, to doubting what the Word of God had said. He inspires men and even women to falsely present themselves as ministers, apostles, and prophets of God. And he is the one who will be behind the coming of the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, before Christ returns. His coming, this lawless one, will be in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. So, this being has power. But we also know something else. He has been condemned, 1 Timothy 3.6. He's already been condemned. Matthew 25.41, Jesus referred to the eternal fire that has been prepared for him and his angels. So he loses in the end. Christ defeated him at the cross. Romans 16.20, God will soon crush Satan under your feet. And that's really the fulfillment of the promise of Genesis 3.15. And Satan seeks to disrupt unity and harmony in the church seeks to stir in us doubt in the word of God he seeks to cause us to reject the things God has spoken in his word that's why we have churches not following the word of God people in pulpits who are not only disqualified from being in a pulpit but who are practicing sin he seeks to evoke anger, envy bitterness and hatred in us toward one another. He seeks to move us to speak falsely and to speak slanderously about one another. To cause disharmony among us. He seeks to cause our souls to become bitter so that we won't persevere in the faith. So that we'll doubt what we know to be true now. So we have to equip ourselves for this spiritual warfare. This is vital. And it doesn't mean that one who has been truly born again can ever lose his eternal life. But the thing is, we don't, we don't know the end of things until that day when the sons of God are revealed. And those who do not persevere in the faith are going to be in grave danger that day. John writes that those who do fall away were never really of us. Here's 1 John 2.18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Now, the last hour has lasted for a long time. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. Now Satan seeks to make us among those who do not remain among the people of God. So Paul exhorts his believers to be strong in the Lord, to find your source of power and strength in the Lord, to put on the full armor of God. We do have the Spirit of God indwelling us if we have been born again. And once we do, it is eternal. But we must realize that we've got this battle to fight. We're going to be tested. Our faith will be tested. Abraham was called to offer his own son back to God. And he believed God that even through this son, whom God asked him to offer back in sacrifice, that through this son, the seed would come, who would be the blessing to all the nations. Because he believed God. And so, God allows Satan to test us. But God has also provided this weaponry necessary to withstand the attacks of Satan. So, what's absolutely incumbent upon us is that in the face of this unrelenting spiritual warfare, and it is that, that we avail ourselves of this power that God has made available to us. And we're going to see what that power is beginning in verse 14. We're going to see what this full armor of God is. So verse 11, he says, put on the full armor, the panoplyon, the panoply of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes, the methodaeus, the methods, the crafty methods of the devil. Put it on. Don't just let this armor sit there on the wall, or on a shelf, or on the floor. This word, panoply here, in English, he uses this term, full armor, panoply, of the complete suit of armor of a foot soldier. That's the word that he chose to use here. It means the whole armor of God, all of it, not just part of it, leaving nothing aside. And he identifies this weaponry as we will read on, as I said, beginning in verse 14. But it's this weaponry that will equip us and enable us to stand firm against the crafty schemes of the devil. Again, we can't do this in our own power. That's what he's saying to us. So we're immediately presented with the question I asked earlier. Do we really, really believe in the devil? If we're not daily seeking to equip ourselves with this armor, it's very likely, because deep down, we don't really believe that there is this powerful, demonic being who is seeking with all his power to destroy us and take us to hell. Startles me, amazes me. There are Christians who don't pick up their Bible every day. I can't even begin to comprehend that. We've got this war to fight. He's trying to draw us away. And if we give our 24 hours a day to the world and nothing to the armor of God, how well equipped are we going to be to fight him? So each of us has to put on this armor so we can stand against these schemes of the devil. We have to put it on. It's there. God's provided it for us. And Christ has won the victory over Satan. Yes, he's won the victory. He's victorious. Now, are we going to be people who share in this victory? Colossians 2.15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, two of the same terms he uses here, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, through Christ. And so, here's the church marching into the world, And Jesus said, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against my church. Satan can't stop the spread of the gospel, but he's still roaming the earth. And he's still warring against us. And believe me, he wants to draw every one of us out of here and to his side. And to his cause. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. So we can see the gospel has now spread for 2,000 years. But he's still roaming. Couldn't stop the spread. but That doesn't mean he won't continue his war. So Peter, after writing that, exhorts his readers, in the midst of Nero's persecution, by the way, which is also at least upcoming if very soon, if not happening as Paul writes this, Resist the devil, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So, Jesus having won the battle, having vanquished them at the cross, the eternal purpose of God is never going to fail. It will never fail. His eternal purpose will be accomplished. The question is whether we are going to fight this battle, and assure ourselves that we'll persevere. Christ is already in the heavenly realm. He's far above all rule and authority. God has placed all things under His feet. That's what chapter 1, verse 21 and following tells us. And chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, we who have been made alive together with Christ have been raised up together with Him and seated with Him. But Jesus said it's those who overcome in this spiritual battle who will share in His glorious victory. That doesn't mean we earn it by works. It means that as a response to this grace that He has bestowed on us, we avail ourselves of the power He's given us, and we stand firm and persevere to the end. Listen to what the risen and ascended Christ said through the apostle John to the church in Ephesus sometime maybe just a few years, maybe 30 years later. Revelation two seven, He says, send this letter to the church in Ephesus and tell them, to him who overcomes I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. To him who overcomes. Revelation 2.11 to the church in Smyrna near Ephesus He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And then Revelation 3, 5, letter to Sardis. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. In order to overcome and to conquer, means we must engage in and win this warfare. We don't earn our salvation by it. But we have to withstand these attacks. Our faith is being tested. And in this entire passage, really, if we look at it rightly, it's, it's infused with the spirit of confident expectation of victory. This should give us great assurance, not fear, not despair, but assurance that God has won the victory in Christ and has provided us with all we need to overcome what's coming at us now that we have received Christ. But the message here is this. We as Christians must take hold of what has been won for us, what has been given us. And that means putting on this full armor of God. And again, do not hear me saying we earn anything from God. Talking about what the response is of the one who is truly, truly converted and truly following Christ. He's one who stands firm in the midst of this battle. Now this language we have here, put on this armor of God. There are some who... We take a contrary position, but the language here seems to speak of the believer taking up defensive rather than an offensive posture. We're not going out to war with Satan. We are standing firm as he comes at war with us. You have people on both sides of whether they're offensive weaponry here. But what's clear is that God has made available to us arms for repelling every attack of Satan and every kind of attack for Satan. And that it remains for us to use them, to put them to use, to not leave them sitting by the wall. You know, like a Bible sitting in a decorative box on a coffee table. Well, there's the weaponry. Are you going to put it away and not pick it up and use it? We have to take up this armor. Here it is. Here's a big chunk of it. is this book. And to quicken our vigilance in all of this, he reminds us here. I mean, that's why he's reminding us we have this crafty, deceptive, powerful foe. And he lies in ambush. Are we fervently seeking this power? That's really the question here. Are you really fervently seeking this power to withstand Satan? I would suspect most Christians haven't even given it a thought. The Bible doesn't talk about it all that much. But here it is. And this is why it's here, to teach us that this is what we have to do. Not in fear, but in hopeful and certain expectation. So what is this armor that God has provided us? We're going to look at that next week. But we know this much. The battle is spiritual So the armor, the weaponry, also must be spiritual. It's not our reason. It's not our intellect. We're not going to persuade Satan to leave somebody alone or to leave us alone through human intellect or human reason. Second, Paul says we're going to need every weapon, every single one of these weapons that God has made available to us because these are deadly foes and they work through all manner of instruments, including other humans. In fact, I would suggest that the two primary means through which Satan works are our own lusts, our own fleshly desires, and other people. Look back, for example, though, in terms of humans. Chapter 4, verse 14. He says here, As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Now, who does that sound like? The trickery of men by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Who does that describe? Describe Satan. Look, when you hear trickery, when you hear this deceptiveness, that's where it's coming from. It's coming from Satan. He uses men. Men. These are the very words Paul uses to describe Satan and the work he does. So the people, and this is Paul's point here the people who stand against Christ and who stand against us and all that we believe are not the true enemy. Who's the true enemy? Satan's the true enemy. He's the one who's behind all of those who oppose God, who oppose the gospel, who oppose us because we are of Christ. He's the true enemy by his schemes. What's he do? He seeks to stir in us all manner of sin. He seeks to cause us to doubt the Word of God, to try to find a way to read it a little differently so as to make peace with others. Church is going to bring in a woman elder. Well, maybe I can find a way in here to read it so that that's Consistent with the Word of God. Who do you think is behind that? That's Satan moving people to try to distort and misinterpret the Word of God. He seeks to, as I mentioned earlier, stirs to anger and to envy and to bitterness, even hatred. Look what he's got that you don't have. It's so easy. It's so easy. He delights when we speak ill of others, especially of one another here in the church. Delights when we refuse to forgive one another. When we hold grudges against others, especially against one another here in the body. All of these embitter our souls. They eat away at our souls. And they hinder us from persevering in the faith. Why should I? This happened to me. Why should I stay? If God really loved you, why would he allow that suffering? If God's a God of love, wouldn't he heal this situation? Wouldn't he lead this relative to salvation? Wouldn't he grant life to this one? Satan uses all of this. He uses religions that tell us you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be saved and have eternal life. And so, yeah, we know these things, and we've equipped ourselves to some degree, but trusting in our own strength, in our own intellect, in our own strength of character, our own strength of argument, or trusting in the intervention of Jesus' earthly mother, as some do, as millions do, or trusting in the intervention of saints now in heaven, this will be of no effect. They can't help us. Paul tells us what God has provided us. And none of these things are listed there. This weaponry that Paul lists includes none of those. But yet Satan has deceived people into praying to the earthly mother of Jesus for deliverance from all manner of situations. So who are these enemies that fight against us? These enemies that seek to take us to hell with them. Well, the first thing we have to realize... They inhabit the spiritual realm, but they can affect us here on earth in the material world. Verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. We can argue with people all we want. This is what the political world's all about. It doesn't get anybody anywhere. Because the struggle is against rulers, against the powers or authorities, against the world forces or world rulers or the cosmic potentates of this darkness. That's who our struggle is against. The word actually for struggle is wrestling against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That is with whom our struggle is. It's not in the political realm. We could elect whoever. What difference is that going to make to anybody's salvation? Yes, we want a more godly nation. But the warfare is spiritual, folks. Harold Honer says this is the most direct reference to spiritual warfare in all of Paul's letters. I believe that's correct. And Paul tells us we are not fighting against men. You look at these weapons that he tells us to put on. They're not weapons to fight men. They're weapons to fight Satan as we take the gospel into the world he's trying to disrupt that to cause people to reject the gospel our struggle paul says is against all the evil forces of darkness see men men are have limitations you know both physical and mental we do the unbelieving do but we as men are battling evil forces of darkness So he characterizes them here as rulers or principalities and authorities or powers. These words become interchangeable throughout Paul's letters. He adds, as the world rulers of this darkness. So we have what looks like three or four different categories here, but he's actually speaking as best as we can learn from Scripture of really one whole group of beings. This term, the world forces of this darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness, are kind of summary terms for all of the demonic beings who war against us. As a result of sin, they came into the world, and they do it under God's permission, and they are ruling in this world right now. They've ruled from the time of the fall of Adam. Look at the words. Rulers, powers, authorities. World forces, world rulers of this darkness. Spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realm. So this means that our challenge is far greater than if we were merely fighting with men. We could resist human strength with a sword, with a gun, with reason. But that's not who our enemy is. When we hear these people promoting, changing, trying to mutilate a child and change his gender, our enemy is not human. Our enemy is spiritual. It's Satan who is behind all of this. We have to understand that. He uses people. This is very different. No human power can withstand these enemies. Our gun, our sword can withstand the human. Our gun, our sword, are useless against Satan and the demons. We don't have power to defeat him. So God provides it to us. So, here are these evil supernatural forces. Principalities, powers, authorities. They're both mentioned in chapter 1, verse 21. Father, seated Christ, in the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Well, here they all are. You see, Christ is now ruling over all of these authorities. He put all things in subjection under His feet, verse 22. In 3.10, He refers to them again, after speaking of the mystery of Christ, that we are all one body in Christ. He says, This mystery has been revealed to Paul and he now reveals it to us so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. So they know. They know about this plan of redemption. Now, there are some who have attempted to define distinctions between rulers, authorities, world forces of darkness. Usually these attempts prove futile. Some suggest there's an idea of rank among the angels, but if there is, the Bible doesn't tell us about it. It doesn't mean it's not the case, it's just that we don't have information about that. So some would say that these terms are descriptive of every demon. Now, the words used here, though, do have some meanings. We can glean something of the characteristics of these beings, these demons, from the language. Rulers and authorities denote two things. Power and freedom to act. They have power, and they are free to act, under the leadership of Satan, of course. The third term, cosmocratorus. this word is only used here, in the whole New Testament. Never used anywhere else. And it basically is translated, the world forces of this darkness, or the rulers of this darkness in the world. We've got the word world here, cosmo. One writer says this word, "cosmocratorus," indicates the terrifying power of their influence, of these spiritual beings. And the fullness, the comprehensiveness of their plan to destroy us. And the purpose of the use of this word, this writer says, was to impress upon us the seriousness of this matter. Kratos, the second part of this word, contains the idea of exerting strength in a tyrannical way. And it's plural, so it means there are many of these. So, the world rulers of this darkness points to the darkness of the spiritual world to which these rulers belong. You see, everything about them is evil. It is darkness. God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all, John. They exist in this domain of darkness. And we can't see them. And this domain of darkness is the domain from which God has rescued us. Colossians 1.13. What a wonderful verse. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness where these beings inhabit, And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what God did for us. And he says now, withstand the battle. Stand firm. So, all of these terms, and especially the last two, seem to be summary descriptions of rulers and authorities that were already described in this verse. And they inhabit a world of darkness. And, we should understand something. Here, darkness isn't merely the absence of light. You don't have light, you have darkness. Darkness is the enemy of the light. It's hostile to the light. All these powers are hostile to God, who is the light. They're hostile to all who are children of the light. Ephesians 5.8 This is why, folks, the world is the way it is. Satan is ruling in this world. Can we not see it all around us? This is not simply because mankind got together and tried to design the most miserable possible existence he could. Mankind has been led to this. Mankind is being led to this right now. Think about it, what was considered utterly unacceptable twenty years ago is now paraded before us with rainbow flags. group of men could pull that off? No, Satan has to deceive. We need to be tolerant. A god of love would tolerate all of this. The mutilation of children is being accepted. The castration of little boys is being accepted in this world because it's darkness. That's what we were rescued out of. So the devil inhabits the spiritual realm, but he reigns in this world. He's been here since the fall of Adam. Remember, all men come into this world separated from God. Children of wrath. Children of wrath. Children of darkness, where Satan rules. And all who remain in unbelief, remain separated from God, remain in the darkness, under the power and dominion of Satan. Think about what Romans 8 teaches us. At the cross, he condemned sin in the flesh and freed us from the power and dominion of Satan and sin. This is so much more real than I think we realize. And whatever else we get out of this, let us come out of this understanding we need to come to His Word and be strengthened by it and be transformed by it, at least every day. So we have this present conflict, It takes place both on the earth where believers presently are and in the spiritual realm where the demonic beings reside. We can't see them. But the Bible says they're there. And they are at war against us. Using our own lusts and using other people to entice us away from Christ. Look back to what Paul says of the unregenerate state in chapter 2. This is where we were before the grace of God came. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to, one, the course of this world, two, according to the prince of the power of the air, Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He is now working in the sons of disobedience. We were there. God rescued us from there. So all men who have not been born again are still under the influence and control of Satan and his demons. And as I said, they use not only frightening things or terrifying things, they use pleasant things to try to appeal to our flesh and lure us away from Christ. Social political, economic structures are all used by Satan to serve his evil purposes, to cause division among people, to cause envy and hatred and bitterness. Satan and his allies exist for the purpose of bringing evil and destructive influences to bear on the whole world, on humanity. And we see this so clearly today. I don't have to tell you what the world has descended into. Spiritual darkness is what the world has descended into. So these men, the men who annoy us, they're nothing more really than darts, flaming arrows thrown at us by Satan. He's using them to wrestle with flesh and blood with with men would be useless. And not only useless, it can be harmful to us. Because when we wrestle with the flesh and blood, when we think our struggle is with the other people, the other side of the political aisle and all of that, we not only miss the mark of our enemy, we give him a victory. Because we're expending our energies on one who is not even our true enemy. Weaponry is here, not in our reason or our argument. Calvin says this, and this was 500 years ago. Because nothing's changed. Satan's been ruling all this time. We must go straight to the enemy who attacks and wounds us from his concealment, who slays before he even appears, Using, and we must use the armor that God has provided. 2 Corinthians 10.3 For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. You hear this. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. And that includes our reason. But they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We don't know how these demons are organized. There's no scriptural passage that deals with the organizational structure of the demonic beings. It's clear they're under the power of the evil one. It's clear that they form a united front. Because they have a united purpose, its purpose is to carry out the schemes of the devil. One writer says, we assume they have a common nature, objective, and method of attack, and I think scripture affirms that. Now I asked the question in the beginning, do you believe do you really believe there's a devil out there? because it just seems plain from the things people say and their conduct, that many Christians seem to be utterly unaware that there's a devil there or that there's a war in progress. Or if they are aware, they consider it a war to be fought at a purely human level. Earthly resources, earthly arguments. Those will be adequate for victory, but they won't. Our struggle is not against other people. They are his instruments. We are engaged in a deadly warfare against the God of this world who wants us in hell. And that's really his sole purpose for his existence at this point. He's not doing anything else. And Paul describes This whole situation and the power of this enemy, not to instill fear in us, but to quicken our resolve and our diligence to avail ourselves of this armor he's provided us. We're in great shape, folks, as long as we avail ourselves of this armor. When we neglect that armor, his word, time in prayer with him, living righteously, living in a way that reflects that we are true believers when we live in the certain expectation of the fulfillment of every one of his promises, Satan knows he is rendered helpless against us. If we don't do those things, he thinks we are rendered helpless. If we are to overcome, we must take hold of this armor. Only spiritual weaponry is of any value in the struggle against Satan, sin, and death. And so, next week in verse 13, Paul's going to repeat his urgent call to put on this divine armor. Let's take a moment, reflect on the things that the Lord has taught us, and I, I suggest that we all ask ourselves, do we really believe that this evil being is out there? And that his Fervent and only desire is to draw us to hell. And then we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for giving us understanding not only of the way of eternal life, not only of the gifts you have bestowed on us, not only of the knowledge of the way you desire that we live, but of making us aware of this warfare that Satan, your enemy and our enemy, has engaged in against us. Lord, let us hear you and let us be vigilant that we would avail ourselves of all of the armor that you've made available to us. Lord, let us not be slothful. Let us not lack diligence in withstanding the schemes of the evil one. In Christ's name, amen.